Welcome to another edition of Here's the Pitch. Brought to you by Masses Restaurants in in St. Louis. They have five locations, and we'll talk about them in a little bit. Uh, But you can find them at stlmasses.com. And always reminding folks to go to the YouTube channel, go to ST Weekly, and subscribe. You can find all these podcasts and plenty of old fun video there. And if I had any fun old video of a Greg Amsinger um, playing baseball or basketball at Zoom Walt? No. How? Hold on. Why do I not know the high school? Hello, it's Greg Amsinger is my guest today. Hello, Greg. Yeah, hello, Brad. How are you? At St. Charles Fighting Pirates. Oh. St. Charles yeah, man. See, I, so I'm a Melville guy, so I didn't really have any rivalries with you, but I did cover a lot of high school sports, and it was more the Pattonville that had uh, a name right before Pirates, um, kind of a nickname. Yeah. A, a, Bad yeah, our, our big rival, uh, St. Charles West, and I went to St. Charles High when they had Ryan Robertson. The Warriors. Yeah, I went to Kansas and was a point guard, played in the NBA for like a second with the Sacramento Kings. He was amazing. I think he, I, I, I might be mistaken, but I think he like broke Jason Kidd's high school assist record. No, he, he but, was, he was good. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing to watch, but I was nowhere near that good. I, I, I was injured. I had a serious knee injury my freshman year playing football. And I had this huge brace, uh, dislocated my knee again um, a year later. And I I was a, you know, a hobbling small forward at 6'5". And it's too bad because when I was in 7th and 8th grade, I thought I had game. I wasn't the only one that thought that. I thought that was going to be my future. But, no, I was like a hobbling knee brace wearing athlete in high school, which kind of stuck. Yeah, I was a terrible. They, they, I was a, a baseball pitcher, and uh, friends of mine, a friend of mine, called me crafty right-hander, which he said you don't. There's not many crafty. They always say crafty left-hander. John Tudor, Tom Glavin, they're crafty. I said I was just a crappy right-hander, and I, 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 I went. I did. I will say this. I will say this. Uh, when I played high school baseball, there was uh, there were a lot of good. I didn't play, but I watched all my buddies play. High school baseball, I, I I had a good arm, but I couldn't hit, dude. I, if you do a ball by my foot, I'm left-handed. Like, big, tall, lefty, I could crank the pitch. But if you do center cut, strike, I was all tied up. That's how bad my uppercut was. Yeah. But we had a guy named Dennis Tankersley, right? And he was good. He ended up getting drafted. Uh, was with the Padres and Red Sox, and he was an Ed Sprague deal. Uh, but he was in my class, a friend of mine, really good. It was a kid that pitched for... Uh, maybe Zumo North or Francis Howell. Uh, his name was uh, Jason Collier or something like that. Big, strong lefty through 94 in high school. He was really good. No one talked about Mark Burley. Mark Burley was in my class. No one talked about Mark Burley. He was a crafty lefty with like an average body. He wasn't a stud in high school. Mark Burley was not a stud. And he ended up having an, a great career, a great career. Uh, they call him a pitch maker, I guess. But that's the thing. You just, if you look at size, that's the first thing I think scouts will look at, obviously, and then speed. And if you don't have those two things, then you're a tiny little left-hander. And, I mean, John Franco and Mark Burley, I guess, are the best 5'9 or under pitchers of all time. I absolutely would uh, put them on that list. I, I would say I got to share the story. <laughs> I think Mark Burley is awesome. I've heard from very credible sources that 
Do you remember the, the catch Dwayne Wise made to preserve his no-hitter? Uh-oh. And you, you see Mark Burley on the mound, and he's, like, laughing hysterically. He's got his glove on his hat, his bill of his cap over his eyes. And we're talking, like, one out in the ninth inning, laughing hysterically. Dwayne Wise saves the game. And then so I, I hear a story about him, and then I keep asking as the years go by, and I'm starting to see that it's true. And Mark Burley lives in Missouri. I think he still he built like a compound in St. Charles. Um, but anyway, great dude. I've heard I heard that he would put vodka and cranberry in a cup, and he would sip on it in between innings. A huge thing of vodka cranberry, and by the sixth or seventh inning, he's kind of he's feeling toasty, and <laughs> so he kind of knew. That he didn't have the A stuff of other guys. And, and when most guys are laboring, he kind of wants to start dancing because he's just laughing and having a great time. And it really makes sense. When people talk about Mark Burley, they think about a guy with guts, man. He's got some guts. I, when it got to the fifth or sixth, I don't think he knew any better. He's just out there cruising along, throwing a slop, and he'll deal with the consequences later. It's one of my favorite like folklore baseball player stories of the recent in the last 10 years. I'm sure he's happy that you shared that one. <laughs> I was say him and him and Doc Ellis now live in a uh, history of Doc Ellis through that uh, yeah, no hitter on that's cool, though. PCP or LSD or all of them. Or I think, I think <laughs> well, fans, that's, that's a little, extreme. yeah, you know, having a pop while you're competing, that's okay. I'm, okay. I'm cool with that. I think it was great. Well, uh, I I think I can honestly say without saying a name of anybody, there was a lot of uh, there's probably more players drinking during the game than than most people would ever understand. And after you told me that story, I'm thinking, well, that guy I remember saying he had some stuff and that. Guy, so it's it was a it was a different time. Maybe who knows if they're still doing it now? I don't know. You know, we do a post game show at MLB Network. You do? And Wait a minute. Wait. The, the Lining Kugels MLB Tonight postgame show. Right? So sometimes Lining Kugels will sponsor it. Why can't the broadcasters have a couple beers on the set? If we announce to the to America we're going to Uber at home, all right? We're going to Uber after the show, everyone. Why isn't you know, Lining Kugels? Me, Sean Casey, Bill Ripken. We're having a couple of Lining Kugels while we're sitting there in suits doing live lookings. I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, well, Tim McCarver uh, had his he has wine every game. I mean, it's now it's out there because they did a shot with him and uh, and Danny in the in the booth, and he's he's got a big old carafe of wine going. Tim McCarver I, can do whatever he wants, right? I mean, he's 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 got he's 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 earned it. But yes, I agree. I, That's the way. It, I, well, yeah, let's let's chill out a little bit on on uh, what's right and wrong with uh, grown adults. They're productive. Members of society, and they're really good at what they do. You know, this whole, I mean, there, there's so many political conversations that I could kind of, we could spin off to. But I just think if people are doing the right thing overall, Tim McCarver has done the right thing with his career in baseball. If he wants to have some wine in the booth, everyone can just grin and enjoy the aftermath of that. What, what is that going to lead Tim McCarver to saying? Let's enjoy Tim. And look, we've heard about Mike Shannon for decades. Mike Shannon wants to feel nice in the booth. If people are smiling, I'm all for smiling. Let's just keep that going. I, I agree. And uh, there was a thing about I think uh, some some 
I can't remember the announcer who wanted to just to say, why are we wearing suits? It's a baseball game. And I, I remember when I worked at Fox Sports Midwest, the geniuses there were, were they picked the temperature of 87 degrees. Well, if it's 87, if it's 86, I want to see you guys in suits. But 88, now you guys can go ahead and polo up. Geniuses. Anyway. Uh, I can't stand wearing polos on TV. Well, at a, desk, at, at a desk, it's probably different. I'm, you know, but the booth, eh, these guys are you know, calling I, a game. I, it's hot. I'm with you. Like, uh, even uh, NBC, NFL, they've done that. Uh, Al, uh, Al Michaels. Al Michaels, yeah. Collinsworth, those guys, they recently uh, went to, like, these nice little uh, pullovers. And they're in the booth not wearing suits. Are they marquee, highly rated broadcasts? Uh, and then, I get it. I get it. You know, you want to make it look like your broadcasters dress much more like your clients, the people that are watching. And I totally understand that. Me personally, wearing casual clothing is much more difficult than just wearing a suit and tie. I get it. I just, I just can't stand it. I'm, I'm a weirdo that way, though. I a suit and tie is easy. I can pick out a great combo in like two minutes. I've got everything laid out, my dry cleaning. It's all organized. But the second I have to fill in for Matt Vasgersian on a hot stove or Chris Rose on intentional talk and I have to wear a shirt and that's going to look good and you don't want to look frumpy and weird. And, oh, I hate it. I hate it. And polo shirts, I love wearing a polo shirt to go play golf. Absolutely. But to be on TV, it's like, oh, I got to go to the gym and bench an extra like 40 minutes each day leading up to that. So I don't look like I need a man's ear. I just, uh, I'm not into it. Well, this is not where I thought we'd start our conversation today, <laughs> but, but I'm, I'm glad we did. And I, we almost got into like a whole, you made me start thinking maybe I used to do the post-dispatch prep sports show in case people want to know what the hell I've been, what I was doing before, how, why I think I should have a podcast. But then I could go back and talk to like uh, Ryan Robertson or, or even a, a young Greg Amsinger and talk about those days as a St. Charles Pirate. But I was going to say, I have a weird gift because I had to cover 140 high schools. So I'm pretty good at like mascots of any high school in the bi-state area. So St. Charles Warriors, I should have gotten. I felt bad. About I, I, I remember that show. Um, a, a guy that I went to high school with and then went to Lindenwood University with, a guy named John Moxley hosted that show way back when. Like he, he took over for me. I I left to go do some stuff with uh, Channel Thirty, and he, uh, he I did the first uh, year, two years, and then he came he came in, did the next two, and then I did the last two. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. I don't know where Moxley is today, but he was like a tall, strapping, huge Yankee fan. Um, I, I mean, he's a psycho baseball fan, so I gotta believe. I'm not a, I'm not on uh, social media, so I have not kept in touch with anyone, like anyone I went to high school with, other than like my close group of five friends. But I'm sure he uh, enjoys and laughs because how the hell is Amsterdam on MLB Network? He's a huge, huge Yankee fan. Well, why now? I don't know if I've asked, but why? And you've probably said it, but why no social media for you? I'm anti-social. <laughs> 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 I. Uh, the old adage, more money, more problems, people that say that have never been poor. I have been. I grew up one of seven kids, food stamps, you know, mom stayed home to take care of all the kids, dad worked in a factory, like we had no money, right? That's not true. Having more money is awesome. It's more people, more problems. Mm. That's the issue. And I have realized over time that 
less is more. So the fact that you have my cell phone number is because you're really good at this. Not because you're a nice person. It's not because of that. You're good. And I, I am fond of people that are talented, that are going places that, that are, that entertain me. Right. But you're not going to believe this. I've only got 71 phone numbers in my phone. Wow. You're one of 71. This is, I mean, I'm stopping right now. Look at your phone right now, dude. For real. This is going to be kind of like reality podcasting. Look at your phone and go to contacts and just read off the number at the bottom. Like, how many do you have? I don't know if I can do that while I'm doing the show, but let's (laughs) see here. All right. So this is is a problem, though, because um, all my emails somehow get stuck in there, too. Uh, I have 1,012 contacts. <laughs> <laughs> who, who are these people? Who? 71. I've changed my phone number maybe 12 times. Let me purge here. I don't need uh, I don't need her number. Anyway, let's don't do that right now. That'd be bad. <laughs> That'd be bad for everybody. Um, yeah, I, I just don't. Uh, I like a very simple private life, and I am not into people if someone's following me i, I want probably to call the police that's how i look at that it's right oh i got followers i don't want followers man i've got a group of friends that i enjoy i don't need fake social media invisible friends you know i don't need that um and i think it's a bunch of bs to be quite honest with you i see all these i don't see one person looking depressed on their facebook profile everybody's cheery and happy and they have the greatest life. And they're on Instagram posting all their pictures of their, their, you know, vacations. I don't, I, I don't care. I don't care. And, and I don't find myself to be all that interesting. No. And I know you're like, Oh crap. My sponsor is going to hear that on my podcast. No. Good. People find me interesting. I don't know really why, but I don't, I don't see the point to be connected to so many people. To me, that's a nuisance. Well, and I would say if you have a job like yours, your social media is every Monday through Friday, 7 to midnight central time or, or whatever time you get on, that, that's your social media and people feel like they're interacting with you. So I, I agree, you don't need it. I, uh, I'm, I'm insanely addicted to it. Um, I don't know why, but I am. I'm not a big poster. I, I'm a big retweeter of like dumb cat videos. I still find dogs just to be hilarious. I love... Uh, <laughs> Dogs, you know, day, you know, dreaming and waking up and running into walls. I could watch that stuff all day. There was one we had. We had this giant ice storm uh, a week ago, and so people were putting out these great ice memes. And one of them was this guy jumping into an ice filled pool, and he he thought he was good, and he just flat out on his on his butt, and it just was funny that that. I need that when you guys aren't on, like during this time where it's quiet during baseball's uh, off season, and I need that. Right. Tim McCarver needs wine in the booth. Right. You need those videos. I do. Whatever you need to smile, that's all I care about. It, that's I want what, people smiling. That's it, it. Yeah, it makes me laugh. And again, I'm honored. Thank you for making me number 71. I, I really, I, I will... <laughs> I will cherish that. That's very, that's very good. Now I'm, I'm sorry to the folks listening who thought we were going to jump in right away into this stuff, but hopefully you've enjoyed our banter. I'm a fig, I'm a fan of Greg here and he's been on before and we've kind of talked about his career. So you can go back and listen to that, but let's just, uh, right out of the gate here, 15 minutes in <laughs> talk about, um, you know, the Harper Machado stuff. And I, I, to me, 
it just it just seems it's that it's bad for the game right now um, because it's made the off season just incredibly boring. And I, I just don't know how you guys have done it. I've watched every day, waking up thinking, "All right, Vaskersian and Harold are going to just kind of break it today." Or Ken Rosen, here's the day. And every day it's just Groundhog Day. Your thoughts and just if this is bad for the game that these two guys are kind of holding up a hundred free agents and, and maybe it's not happening, but just your thoughts and just. If this is bad for the game, what's happening? I don't think they're holding up anyway. I think the analytical front offices have changed the sport. Um, it, you know, the NBA will have their free agency. And when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving um, make the announcement as to what, where they're going, it's not going to take a long time. You're going to have eight to ten NBA franchises ready for max max contracts and they're going to be recruiting these guys and it is 100% positivity. Now I know it's two different sports, not as many players on the roster. Completely get that. But owners can't wait to pay for players. They can't wait to pay for players. The branding that comes with that, fans just subconsciously go, superstars! Oh my God, Kevin KD! Kyrie, they're superstars because the owners think they're superstars. Only baseball takes two of the most talented players we've seen hit free agency, especially at an age that we haven't seen since Dallas Rodriguez, and we, we, we rip them apart. We spend all winter talking about why they're not worthy of money, why they're not faces of a franchise. What's wrong with Manny Machado? Bryce Harper, oh, he hit 214 in the first half of the season. All we do is bash him, right? All we do is bash the biggest stars of our sport. Blame them for not taking contracts that they think aren't worthy of their talents. And then at the end of it all, they will each sign with a team. And then that team who's been sitting there arguing with the other side, going, no, they're not worth it, T- talking to the media, leaking stuff to Ken Rosenthal, you know, we're only going to offer $170 million for Manny Machado. He's now a $300 million guy. That's not going to happen. All they do is that. And then when they sign them, they expect their fan base to rush to go buy season tickets for these guys, go buy their jerseys. We're going to do a bunch of ad campaigns for them. They're the new face of the Padres. They're the new face of the Philadelphia Phillies. Then they wonder why it doesn't work. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. I'm sorry, but fans aren't watching the Oakland A's. Oh, I get it. They have the lowest payroll going into opening day. And these young guys, we're all over 90 games. What a story. Things aren't going to watch the Tampa Bay Rays. I get it. Second lowest payroll. There's no player to hang your hat on. Do you really? If a 12-year-old kid, and I'm not planning on moving from the Tampa Bay area, why buy a Blake Snell jersey? He's not going to be there in three or four years. So to me, you have analytical front offices who, in my in my personal opinion, would welcome the challenge of a strike. Like, guys, that's awesome. Get the players that make a lot of money out of here anyway. We'll take all the scab players, and we'll still win. At, at the end of the day, in their heads, they think if they just win, that people will come. They have no clue. You're still creating an entertainment product. And what I think will happen, opening day is going to roll, and those two guys will not be on the team. 
It's the only Brad. It's the only way they win. It's the only way Harper and Machado get what they want, which is ten year contracts. Okay, around three hundred million. The only way either guy or both win is if opening day rolls around and they're not playing baseball. That will be the biggest black eye to Major League Baseball. I believe the commissioner's office will start to put the thumb down and press on some of these owners to, to bend. It'll look bad for the game. And I believe more and more of this stuff's going to happen. I hope we avoid a strike. But we will eventually, mark my words, have baseball men, men that played the game or managed the game in front offices again because this analytical approach where everyone's a robot, everyone's, you know, no one has a heartbeat, no one, no one carries cash, say, no one's got star power, no one connects to the human aspect of entertainment. Um, those guys are going to get phased out because people don't care. No one cares if the Rays or the A's win with no payroll. I know these front office guys want to throw an office party because they're so bright, but if no one's going to watch it, who cares? Tree falls in the middle of the forest. It doesn't make, it doesn't make a sound. So, it, to me, this is a growing problem that is going to lead us into a new day that will eventually remind us that everything is cyclical and it'll go back to being the way it used to be. I hope so. It's so weird that um, we're having this this type of conversation because YouTube, I get uh, I get sucked into holes there too, and I hadn't seen Moneyball in a long time. I think I've only seen it once. Um, but they put little five-minute clips out there. I guess people do. And there's the big scene where Brad Pitt slash Billy Bean is talking to his old scouts, and the old scouts are talking about you know who's coming and who they got and who to replace uh, you know Giambi and who's going to replace Johnny Damon. And Brad Pitt goes, "We're going to replace him with Jeremy Giambi because he can put this on base percentage out there." And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this is every team now." And this yeah. is exactly what you're talking about. You're not. You're, you're just throwing out 25 guys. I have been very back and forth as a Cardinal fan on the Bryce Harper thing, but I think I've been more pro Bryce because I said, plug him into right field for 10 years and you're set. I mean, we're sitting here going, well, what's Dexter Fowler going to be like this year? And boy, what what do we? I don't know what Harrison Bader's. You know what Bryce Harper's going to do? And I hate when I do this, but. The teams that I remember going to World Series, you plugged in Scott Rowland, you plugged in Edgar Renteria, you plugged in Jim Edmonds, you you had Reggie Sanders, Albert Pujols. You didn't have questions. You just didn't. You knew what you were getting because they're superstars and they were great players. And here we're like, well, you know, maybe Dexter will come around. And boy, Bader was really good. Give me Bryce Harper. You guys have the money. Everyone knows what you've got with this TV contract. So it does it – does, because you're right. There is a, seg- a segment of, hey, well, what Bryce Harper, I don't know. He had that one bad year. And well, what if he runs into a wall and he's out for two seasons? Right. But I'm. Wait, 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 we're going to play that game for every free agent. Right. We're going to play that game for every free agent. I-, I had a conversation with a front office executive at the BBWA dinner in New York City with an unnamed front office executive running a team. And I said, Someday it'll be better when Mike Trout's free agent because he'll get 10 years, 500 million. He's going to blow it, the lid off this. He will be the guy that gets exactly what he wants. It'll be the closest thing to NBA free agency. And the guy put his arm around me, laughs hysterically. He goes, no one wants Mike Trout for 10 years. (laughs) He's not coming close to 50 million a year. We're just not paying any player like that anymore in this game. 
And I'm realizing something. I'm like, wait a minute. To me, the analogy is when you go to Bristol, Connecticut, and you go to ESPN. I got, obviously, I'm a broadcaster. I'm kind of pro-talent, if you will. All the offices go to the producers. When you're in Bristol, the cubicles go to the broadcasters. But the big offices go to the producers and the executive producers. I mean, it, it's they are... The, when you walk around in Bristol, the biggest stars are the decision makers. Everyone knows who they are. Oh, that guy's walking. Oh, man. It's weird. To me, it's backwards, right? Well, I was a producer, so I like this, this <laughs> line producer. of thinking. <laughs> I, have the, I have the mind of a producer. I, pr- because, I produce. Because I could not make it on TV. That's why I became a producer. Like, I figured out, I don't want to be in front of a camera. Then they count down to one, and I freeze. So... You have the talent. I don't. But anyway, I'm sorry for interrupting. But my point is, my point is, <laughs> it's the branding of it, right? It's it's just the idea, the psychology of it. I really think it's the food chain. So when you go in, the producer would create, the producer creates the rundown. This is what he thinks we're talking about. Talent, just do it. Where I get to work, it's producers go, guys, what do you want to talk about? And yeah, the Broadcasters get nice offices, and it to me it empowers the creative thinkers that are on the camera, right? The performers. So in baseball, the food chain is flipping. The front office executives all want to be Billy Bean. You brought up the right guy. Billy Bean is on top of the food chain. He's the biggest celebrity connected to the Oakland A's. There will never be a player bigger than Billy Bean. One guy was coming close. His name was Josh Donaldson. They traded his ass out of there. So he's the biggest star. And that is symbolic. That is where the game is going. All these Ivy League front office executives that are barely 30 all want to be the next Billy Bean of their respective franchise. And if Mike Trout, the idea that Mike Trout would get a 10-year contract if that's laughed, if that that generates laughter. That's not a good thing for our game. It's not. I totally agree, and yeah, I, I think it's a required viewing. If you're thinking if baseball's in trouble, watch Moneyball, and then you will just just realize that every team is doing that now, and, it, and it's not good. Um, we're Cardinal fans, right? So tell me your thoughts on the Cardinals here in 2019. I have my own, but I'll I want to hear yours first, and then we can debate. <laughs> I like them. I, I don't. Lot, hey, I uh, don't. See, I knew. I knew we debate. See, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, they addressed issues, and do I think they're done? No. Do I think they're still in on Bryce Harper? Yeah, I do. Um, if it plays out the way I think it's going to play out, where he doesn't play until uh, past opening day, then the Cardinals will not be in play um, because they're not going to go long term. But. If he panics, which there's a chance either one of these guys might, they're getting pressure from the um, players' union to not and ride this thing out. Because if they take a five-year deal, the ripple effect of that is paramount. The guys need a two-year deal. They're going to get minor league invites, okay? So if the Cardinals are able to get a Bryce Harper on a five- to seven-year commitment, they, they're going to be in on that. I'm telling you right now, they've been waiting – in the wings just to see if it, it, not the price tag, they're willing to go big AAV. Everybody is. But if the years can come down, they're going to be a player for Bryce Harper. Changes everything if they get him. But as it stands right now, 
I I dig it. I I, I think the O'Neill kid's going to be a thirty homer player. Bader a whole year playing center field, you know, running into walls, stealing bags, infield singles. Kid's going to hit twenty bombs. That's fun to watch. The Dexter Fowler thing. I don't know if if, if it if it ever ever gets fixed. I don't know. He's just not fit, man. I don't, I don't think he likes playing there. I don't think it's going to work. Uh, but having Yachty back, what I, all reports I'm hearing is Adam Wainwright is on a mission. On a mission. Now, is he going to throw a 96? No. But expect a productive season from this guy. He came into camp in great shape. He's feeling better than he's felt in a long time. And that's your number five starter. That's your number five with that pedigree, that leadership. Throwing to his guy Yachty again, who's still playing great baseball at his age. Um, and look, the obvious is Goldschmidt. So it's a better team than last year. If anyone thinks they're not, they're fooling themselves. And they've got the flexibility with a guy like Matt Carpenter. I know he's not going to win a gold glove at second base, but I don't think he's only a third baseman either. So they have the ability to go get pieces and move him around. It's a dangerous team, man. It's a dangerous team. And to me, I feel like the Cubs are standing, if not trending in the opposite direction a couple notches and i know the reds are trying but to me it's a great opportunity for the cardinals to get back on top of the the uh podium and all central and win and get to the postseason again yeah i <clears throat> i obviously think they're better than any offseason they've come into since maybe 20 uh, 2015 they won 100 games i thought 2016 they'd be okay and then the last two years i just when Jed Jerko and, and Jose Martinez were going to be in your lineup every day, I didn't like it. So they're not, and that's good. I just, I know it's, it's again, I go back to how I like a team where it's push play. Here's your five starters. Here's your five bullpen guys. Steve Klein, Ray King, Jason Isringhausen, uh, the lineup I mentioned. There's just a bunch of guys, and there's a lot of, well, Austin Gomber. You know, the, the first three guys in the rotation, Wainwright, Waka Martinez all spent a ton of time on the DL, so I I just can't really get behind it. The only thing I can say is, great April and May, those guys are healthy. You need that, um, but it just it just feels like they they always and I, I get it. Maybe it's a new way of thinking, and there's a long it's a longer season. They they just it just seems like they hey we'll try this, see what happens. If it doesn't work, we'll try something else. And by then you, you're kind of out of it a little bit. I felt like they they went I think twenty and five for some stretch in August last year, which was great. But then they ran out of ran out of gas. Um, there's a lot of positives though, so I I guess maybe I just look at the negatives too much. Probably. <laughs> well, look at the end of the day, I want to remind Cardinal fans, and I won't go off on my soapbox, but it's a team that is committed to winning, and they've got such a wonderful blend of young players and veterans that this is not. You don't ever hear anyone going and talking about the St. Louis Cardinals going, they're all in. To me, that means we're going to get rid of all of our youth to try to win this season. Cardinals don't do that. They're in. They're not all in, which gives you this consistent product that is fun to watch. The fact that even someone as pessimistic as you (laughs) can, can sit here and go, there's a lot of positives. I'm kind of excited for opening day. That's all you need. That's it, man. No. And then when the season starts, you can tinker with your roster if need be. But who knows what happens? Miles Michaelis could buy for Cy Young again. I mean, the guy had an amazing year. Alex Reyes could come back and actually 
you know, not over boogie on the mound and like throw a bone out of his rib cage and you know, like just dude, you don't need to throw 112, just throw 97, right? Like maybe he figures it out and now he's in the rotation. There's a lot. The upside of the Cardinals is is really scary for the other teams in the NL Central. Yeah, no, I, the Reds, I, the Reds are all in. The Cubs are all in. The Cardinals are in. They're too smart to be all in. No, I and I I do. I mean, the pitching, the depth. I mean, because I got to see Dakota Hudson and Ponce de Leon and Gomber do this in the major leagues. I'm terribly excited. I love having all these arms, um, so that's good. I just I still feel like the lineup's a little messy, but you can deal with that. Um, Albert Pool. So I, I I put this in a note. Just whoever I could talk to about Albert Pool. So I was going to ask this question. So just give me your thoughts from a Nationals perspective. I feel like he's forgotten. I feel like he just went out west, uh, three thousand hits, six hundred home runs. And it's going to be very quiet. I feel like, obviously, if he did it in St. Louis, maybe it wouldn't have been as much. Am I wrong on this, that he's sort of the forgotten great player of this generation because he did go out west? He hasn't had, what, one playoff game or one playoff series, so you you don't see him in October. Uh, They play at 9 o'clock in the central time zone, 10 o'clock eastern. You don't see him anywhere if you're even looking for the the angels i mean if he was a dodger it'd be even a little different i mean am i right is he is he kind of forgotten out there he is and i think it's the way he wants it to be um obviously the angels offered him the big contract not the dodgers uh but he liked the obscurity that came with going out to la and there are bigger celebrities out there than albert pools the whole St. Louis thing, he was the biggest, he was the most famous person in St. Louis. This is the way it was. So he he was nice about it, but he wanted some obscurity. He wanted a private life. Um, That also coincides with the time of which he aged. This new analytical narrative has bashed his contract. Bashed him because his numbers have come down so dramatically. But what he's done is he's aged like a Hall of Famer ages, you know. So if he would have, say, signed with the Angels in 1989, we would be talking about how amazing this guy is, how he's one of the five greatest right-handed hitters in the history of the game, how we get to watch a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, he would get a standing ovation every time he stepped up to the plate regardless of what his batting average or on base were because he, we cared about, you know, accumulation stats. We care about guys that do it as long as he's done it. And as durable as he is now, did he play through pain? The plantar fasciitis, which I mean, watching him run around the bases, it, it pained me to watch. He couldn't, he couldn't run on his toes at all because of the pain he was experiencing. The guy plays. He had one year where he didn't. He was too injured to play 100 games, I think. Other than that, he's playing. I give him all the credit in the world. He's still one of my favorite players of all time. Would you be shocked if he hit 30 home runs and drove in 100 no. this year? No. no, no. But we don't care about that anymore. We don't care about 30 and 100. We, we think Lorenzo Kane. I just got done doing the top 100 players right now. We were our analytically based research staff loaded with men and women who are much smarter than me that never played the game professionally or in some cases college, most cases college, 
couple of them did. These are shots at Keith Costas, by the way, and I will not take them. But go on. <laughs> yes, Keith is in the research department. <laughs> they uh, they put this list together, and Brian Kenny agreed with the list. Brian Kenny is the you know, sabermetric king. He, he believes the list. Lorenzo King's number twenty eight. Lorenzo King hit ten home runs, drove in thirty eight, and. If you compare Lorenzo Cain to an Albert Pools, it's laughable. Like, you, Lorenzo Cain is an MVP candidate, superstar in the eyes of the analytics, with 10 home runs and 38 RBIs. Albert Pools, who's obviously on his last legs, like three years left, is going to hobble the plate this year, hit 250, hit 30 homers, driving 100, and it's embarrassing. Like, they roll their eyes when he comes up to the plate. Please sit down because you're just hard to watch. It's, 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 the, it's the time that we're sitting in right now. And it's too bad, man. I, I, I can't stand it, to be honest with you. I don't, I, it, it's got to change. I think Lorenzo King's a nice player. I do. I don't think he's a bad player at all. But I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. He's not the 28th best player in the game. Yeah, he's I'll, not. I'll give you a thought on Kane in a second. But... You, you made me think, like, and I wasn't alive when Hank Aaron uh, finished his career or Willie Mays, but, and I don't know what their contracts were at the end of their contracts, but they just sort of, oh, I can't play anymore? Okay, I'm done. And no one knew that they, how much money they made. And it, I, or they, if they did, I don't believe it was like, oh, my God, $30 million for Hank Aaron for this? So right. I think that contract, people now just say, oh, my God, three more years of this? And it's still pretty good. But Hank Aaron, you know, Hank Aaron still, I think, hit. 20 home runs with Milwaukee his last year. I know, I know Willie Mays' last year with the Mets was no good, but you're right. I mean, first it's people want to complain about that contract, and then which everyone knew was too long because he he, he obviously was too old. Um, but he still does produce, and you're right. The number, you know, it's it's a whole analytical era. But Lorenzo Cain, he's – the fantasy baseball is huge. I love it. And Lorenzo Cain is like one of the top 20 guys I want to have because he steals bases, OBP, he does slug, and that's the that's those are the cat, those are the magic categories, right? Now, so you know, he's a perfect fantasy baseball player. Get hits for average, which is big. So Right. It's you, it's you all sound like a front office executive. Well, so Well, it's so the, well, fantasy baseball makes you get analytical because you have to home runs are just one category. And mm-hmm. and that's what they make when you're playing fantasy. I play in two different leagues. I never thought I would, by the way, and I love it. I mean, I absolutely love it because it is fun. But, you know, we have a category for whip. And and what I don't understand about why we have a whip category is, okay, so if I have a 110 whip, I could be in first. If I have a 115 whip, I could be in last place. That's stupid. It's just dumb. <laughs> I'm playing with some of your Lindenwood buddies, and they're they're the ones who put this crap out there. <laughs> I blame Brendan Weesey. I mean, I'm going to guess Brendan Weesey's the guy. He, he's not in that start. group. No, John Walsh. I think these guys were all uh, friends with your brother. So John Walsh and Mike Richter. Oh, Tim yeah, Trokey, yeah. the great Tim Trokey from Fox Sports Midwest. Um, <laughs> Listen, man, you sound like a front office executive. I still go back to we're putting on a show, man. We're putting on a show. Oh, no, 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 and, no. I, I want Lorenzo Kane stepping to the plate no. does not should not get a standing ovation. And I think Lorenzo Cain's a very good player. No, for fantasy baseball, I love it. And I, you know, I get, no one cares about my opinions, but I loved the steroid era. I loved home runs. Chicks dig the long ball. I love the ball going 500 feet. Um, you know, I don't want it to be, hey, kids, take steroids to get the baseball. 
But it was no, the most—it was the I, most I, entertaining I time we ever had. I didn't like the steroid era, and that's not what I—I I want to bring back. My favorite time was when I was a kid in the '80s. There was action, man. I loved leadoff hitters. Yeah. I loved guys that you knew were going to bunt. The infield's in, and they bunt anyway, and they reach base. The Vince Coleman's, the Ricky Hendersons, the Brett Butler's, the Otis Nixon's. You go on and on and on and on. There were great leadoff hitters, guys that stole bags. I mean, that 1987 Cardinals team was ridiculous. How many guys had over 50 stolen bases? Three, four? Tommy Hurd, did he get 50 bags? It's incredible. You had McGee, you had Ozzie, you had Vince Coleman, you had Tommy Hurd. Terry Pendleton could still run. Like, it was amazing to watch a team that had that much action. They didn't run. Oh, my goodness. When I see a hit and run on MLB tonight doing live bookings, a tear streams down my cheek. I can't believe it. I just saw it. Now, because thanks to Billy Bean, we want Jeremy Giambi to walk so he can stand at first base and wait for, you know, someone to hit a homer so they could trot around the bases. And if no one hits a homer, they all strike out, and then we just – wait for the other team to hit and it's the same thing the three true outcomes i can't stand that's not i mean brad think about it my i have a nine-year-old son and he came after one of his games he's a crazy baseball nut and he goes daddy i played really well today and i go oh yeah tell me about it i I was working i couldn't go to his game he goes uh well i i got a hit my first at bat i was like that's awesome and he goes and then i walked my next two at bats so my on-base percentage is perfect. <laughs> and I go, wait a minute. Um, we're, all, we're all the pitches like way out of the strike zone. There were a couple I could have hit, but I'm not going to swing at a bad pitch. And I'm like, can I ask you a question, London? If the, the same, if your first at bat was the same and there were pitches to hit, but they were just off the plate. If you would have walked all three times today, would you have thought that you played great? He's like, yeah, I got on base three times. I go, okay, fair. Do you think you, if you, if you would have done that, would it have made you better? Do you think you would have improved and played like you got better today? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm knowing my strike zone. So I'm like, dude, you're the rest of your life to worry about that. Swing the bat, man. If you strike out, you should learn to deal with adversity. Swing the bat. Don't be Joey Votto. Swing the freaking bat. Be Aaron Judge. Strike out a little bit. You know, have some fun. Don't think that you have to be on base all the time at the age of nine. <laughs> what are we doing? If there's a pitch you can hit, swing and hit it and go run. Smile. Have fun. What are we doing? Brad, we're overthinking the game, man. It's ridiculous. Right. We're overthinking it. My, uh, I try to keep this. I never publicize this because I like Matt Carpenter. He's always been good to me, a nice guy. He's my least favorite player to watch on the Cardinals. And everyone, oh, my God, he was an MVP last year. But I said, I can't stand watching his at-bats. He looks at the umpire on every pitch because if it's called a strike, he thinks it's a ball. Then as a leadoff hitter, if he does get to first base, he can't get to second base by stealing it. He has to get hit there. He's not going first to third ever. And then if the ball is put into left field on a pop-up and he's standing at third, he's probably going to get thrown out at home. So I, I hate saying it. He's a .5 tool player. He gets on base. And I'm, I, I'm obviously, he does hit home runs. He, drew, he had a great 
middle of the season last year. But but Matt Carpenter frustrates me more than any player that I've seen in the last 10 years because, like you said, he doesn't look like he's enjoying it. All he wants to do is is it sounds so stupid all he wants to do is get on base what's his problem all he's doing is lobbying uh to to reach first base Uh, you're right guys are like no i'm not taking it i think they need to expand strike zones in my personal opinion make the plane a little bit bigger let's go Hmm. swing back i i I, for real like i am so sick of watching a guy make a great pitch and it's like a fraction off the plate it's like a backdoor slider with a ton of movement, and Joey Votto takes it, and the umpire's like, well, that's Joey Votto. He knows the strike zone. Joey Votto reaches first base. And Joey Votto's one of the best hitters I've ever seen. It's just unfortunate that it has to be center cut from the swing to bat. You know, I mean, Barry Bonds the same way. Barry Bonds got two pitches to hit every game he plays, two. And he hit him. <laughs> and he hit him a long way. But that wasn't uh, authentic hitting. So, I look, I... I love the game. I don't want this to come off sound like I'm anti-baseball. I'm not. I'm not. I think it is. Everything is cyclical. And we are going to get back to a day where, you know, the Kyler Murrays are going to pick baseball because they can show their athleticism. And right now, I think that's not where the game is because it doesn't value athleticism anymore. We're just the old guys sitting in the rocking chair saying, I liked it better in the 80s. (laughs) I got to be honest with you. Does Ozzie Smith make the big leagues right now? Well, he doesn't make does, the Hall of Fame, that's for sure. No. Does, <laughs> does, yeah, right. Does Ozzie Smith, who's all glove, no bat, when he came up to the big leagues and was never going to develop into a Francisco Lindor power guy, does he make the big leagues? Do, do we need a defensive shortstop like that? Anderson Simmons can hit homers. He can, you know, get on base. He's become an offensive player. Anderson Simmons has a cannon for an arm, something Ozzy lost after a couple of years the Padres got injured. No, you don't need Ozzy Smith in the big leagues now. With defensive shifting, it, it defensive shifting sucked the life out of Robinson Cano. Robbie Cano used to be one of the most entertaining second basemen to watch. He's openly admitted this and told me this. Shifting bores him. He's got a shortstop standing eight feet to his right, first baseman, eleven feet to his left. There's there are, there's no creativity anymore. The ball's going to hit right to him, and that's the play he's going to make. So if that's defense now, why do you need a guy that's going to hit you maybe five homers at short? Nah, nah, let's go get, uh, let's go get the young. Let's go get that. Let's get someone like that. That's a better shortstop. We don't need this Ozzy Smith character. That's very, that's sad that I would not have gotten to see an Ozzy Smith as a kid. Um, right. What do you think? Of, I mean, do you think, do you think baseball needs to outlaw stuff like shifting and doing the stuff they're talking? I mean, the three pitch or three batter reliever thing I had that has no legs. I don't think. But just tell me a little bit about some of these rules. For first of all, shifting though. Do you think baseball needs to ban it? I I, I go. I don't know about that one. It's, I, I I like to hear people's opinions before I make my own. So you're 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 a guy that I think has a good opinion. Let me hear yours. I I look at uh, defensive shifting and I still. I think it's a product of what front offices value. So I think hitters will continue to pull the baseball, even if there are 17 people standing in right field and you're a left-handed slugger. So, you know, the way I view baseball now is there are baseball players that are trying to get paid for eight innings. So both teams have position players 
that are trying to get paid for eight innings. What I mean by that is they're not playing the game. They're trying to hit homers. They're trying to slug or walk because that's what front offices value. Everyone's like, oh, my gosh, we're down by one. We're in the eighth. Their bullpen's nasty. Why wouldn't you bunt? There's no one on the left side of the infield. Well, it's only in the eighth. In the ninth, we will. But this is my at-bat. The other guys got their at-bat to try to slug or increase their on base. I'm still going to swing as hard as I can. I don't care if there's not a soul on the left side of the field. I'm not bunting. No, I'm going to try to hit a homer. So it's eight on eight, every man for themselves for eight innings. Then in the ninth, they play a game. So if that's the case, and hitters are never going to make an adjustment, then maybe shifting can only happen in the last inning of the game. You know, maybe you have to put a rule as to when you can shift. I personally think you should leave it alone and make the hitters readjust or maybe make front offices reevaluate what's good for the sport. I personally like the three batter minimum. And when they were talking about it, I think there was uh, an aspect to that idea that if you end the inning, then, you know, you, you can come out of the game. If you only face two guys, then you can come out. You don't have to go back out to the mound. The whole point of it is to avoid the pitching changes, the in-game pitching changes. So if the inning's over, you can bring anybody else out there that you want to start the next inning. I like that. The matchups, watching the managers go back and forth and each reliever is facing one guy, and you don't care how many times you get this guy up throughout the course of the game to warm up because you're sending his ass down the minors and you bring up some other guy that's just, you know, as Dan Plesak likes to call a, a brain-dead heaver who's just <laughs> throwing 100 miles an hour, has no idea where it's going, has no secondary pitch. And, you know, that's that's kind of where we're leaf pitching is today. All these guys so hard, but they're not real pitchers. So they're just going to keep circulating these guys up and down for the minor leagues. Therefore, it lends itself to making seven pitching changes in the course of the game. That is... That stinks. I'm tired of watching that. Um, I have my own opinion to fix extra inning baseball, which needs to be fixed. It needs to, it's archaic that we have games that go 18 or 19 innings. It's archaic. And two baseball fans are like, AMC doesn't love baseball. Come on, man. It's a TV show now. Every, every game is on television. Back in the day, I get it. It was an intimate experience that only people that were there in the ballpark could enjoy, or if you were listening on the radio. But now it's a TV show. And people aren't going to watch the TV show after 11 innings or turning off. They're like, I'm not going to feel like crap tomorrow at work. I'm going to bed. Okay? They need to steal the idea from the NHL. When the NHL changed overtime hockey, oh my gosh. Three-on-three hockey is some of the best sports to watch. Okay? Extra inning baseball after the ninth inning. This is what my idea is, and everyone thinks it's ridiculous. Not, it's no way it would happen. People want to put a runner at second base. Oh, boring, typically. Such a stagnant, predictable idea. What's the most exciting play in baseball, Brad? What do you think the most exciting play in baseball is? Oh, goodness. Uh, runner at second. And a base hit to left field. Here comes the runner around third. Here comes the throw. Here's 
Save it. That's my, it's my Mike Shannon call. Let's add. He's at first base. Now he's at second. Oh, they might wave him. It's an inside the park home run. That's the most exciting play in baseball. Okay. Well, it's close. All right. Sure. So let's take away an outfielder. Your lineup stays the same, but you get two outfielders. Now you have to construct a team where Terrence Gore is a good guy to get. You would like to have a, a speedy outfielder as your fourth outfielder, right? Gerard Dyson's a guy that you might want to sign because if you do get the extra innings and you can only have two outfielders, you want a guy that can cover a lot of ground. So imagine, you know, that is shooting Yanni Molina to not pull the ball down the left field line. We're in the extra innings. He hits one down the line. I mean, they're, they're, they've got the center fielder in center, the right fielder in right. They think he's taking everything to center or right field, right? They're just they're gambling here. He hits it down into the corner. Yadi Molina is running for an inside-the-park walk-off homer. That is exciting. That is what I think you need to do. It's, it's a spinoff of the three-on-three hockey. So I think you need to do that because the extra inning thing is, is just – Awful, and it does affect my life. So I do have skin in the game. I am on MLB tonight from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern. And once we get to the month of September and games matter, we're on the air until these games end. So I need these games to start ending. 18 inning games are just awful. So I, there are a lot of ways to tinker. If you ask me, the commissioner is going to change the game. He wants to make it a product that is shorter in length and that youth will get into, and he's going to try to make. These baseball players, bigger stars. So many things have to happen to make for that to happen. Uh, it has to start with paying them a ton of money. So that's got to go back to doing that and just see baseball being a, a really rich, fruitful place in five to ten years. I was thinking about your idea, and I'm going to take it a step further. There'll, there's no defense, and it's wiffle ball. You just pitch, <laughs> and the pitcher has to go run after the ball, and <laughs> You know, he, he has to, like like in wiffle ball, the pop-up, all right, I got it, I got it. He's out there by no catcher either. You just throw to a backstop. Uh, it's wiffle ball. Not wiffle ball, and you actually play baseball, but and then you just, that way, there's no umpire. You just hit the little, you make a little wood board with a, a, a square. Actually, that, that would work too, now that I think about it, for, for the whole game. Because <laughs> now it's just strike called by the, uh, the square. We used to play with a lawn chair. Put a lawn chair back there. No, look, I get it. You're a purist, and you think that's a crazy idea. No, 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 Greg. I'm, I'm not. I liked it. I got to be honest. I, I, I don't like the second base thing, but I do like move some. Yeah, let's lose a couple fielders. I don't. I never heard it. I don't know if you said it on the air yet. Um, but I liked it. But no, I, I, I honestly want to try no fielders. I want to see what that looks like. To be honest. Well, I, I think I was on your show when I gave you my greatest baseball idea ever. The last time we got together and did a podcast. Let me think. Well, start and let me see if I can remember. Home field advantage. If you want to speed up the game uh, and make baseball by far the number one sport in America, hands down, you do this idea. It only affects the road team. It can only hurt the road team. And what does baseball have that it doesn't care about? Foul balls. No one cares about foul balls. You did, yes. If fans caught them, they were out. (laughs) <laughs> yes. So foul ball, first foul ball, Bryce Harper's up, played for the San Francisco Giants against the Cardinal. It's in Bush Stadium, fans cheer because he fouled the pitch off. Fouls it back again, everyone's notified to stand up and get ready. Everyone's fired up. If he fouls a ball off again, 
and it is caught and instant replay proves it is caught by a fan, he's out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Brad, you could win the World Series. Think about this for a second. Game seven, right, at Bush Stadium, you catch the foul ball that ends the game. You're like on the float of the World Series championship parade. Captain okay. freaking Market Street. How Let, great is that? Let's reverse I, it. I think, it's, I think it's gold. I know, but let's reverse it. How many Steve Bartman's come out of this thing now? <laughs> you son of a bitch! Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's about time that all of these fans that have never done anything wrong, that are geniuses, that think baseball players stink, that think GMs have no clue what they're doing, that think managers are just buffoons that can't make the easiest and most obvious move. Let's, let's give them a little accountability. Catch a foul ball, for crying out loud. I like it. No, I like it, too. I, <laughs> these are all great. See, but this is what happened. You need people like us to be in these meetings, not the eggheads, not the, uh, not the Brian <laughs> yeah, Kenny. I, I, we've got such a short amount of time on this earth, Brad. You know, we play by a lot of rules, just in life generally. Let's have a little bit more fun. Let's push the envelope. In all aspects, especially baseball. Was it not here in St. Louis that Bill Veck gave fans cards to hold up to tell the manager what to do next? That actually happened in a Major League Baseball game. He sent a midget to the plate to get a walk. Where is Bill Veck? That's what I want to know. Where is Bill Veck when you need him? Right now, the analytic department would uh, tie him up. They would put a, a muzzle over him, and he would not be allowed to leave his office because of all of his harebrained ideas if he was an owner today. Um, we need creative thinkers like that. And I got to say, the Brody Van Wagenen hire, to hire an agent to be the GM of the New York Mets, paramount. And to me, it was the biggest move this offseason. Of all of the moves, Brody Van Wagenen going to the Mets was the biggest, was the most important one. We're going to look back. And it was going to, it's going to change the game. It's a non, you know, sabermetric guy that got this job. Why did he get it? Because of his gravitas. He's a star. He's a man's man. Walked into the room and was very candid with the Wilpons. Your team stinks. Your team's a laughing stock. Let me run this. I'll do it in a different way. Everyone's going right. We need to be the team that goes left. So I want him to do well. What has he done? All he's done is make moves. You know, he didn't tear down. He didn't get rid of every single big league contract that was on the roster so they could lose intentionally for three years, stockpile draft picks. Then when they get to the big leagues, you add a couple of veterans and now you got the Cubs and now you got the Astros. No, he didn't do that. He's like, I can win right now. And he's paying players. So I think what you're going to see is that move, if he does well, if it works, you're, you're slowly going to get back to men that managed or played that will return as front office executives that actually value things that cannot be quantified like leadership, like, you know, uh, trying to win a game in the third inning by getting the guy over to second or third base with one out. And those are the things that the baseball men are going to get back into. Getting a guy that steals bases, valuing athleticism. Those are the things you're going to get back to. Brody's got to succeed because he's a non-sabermetric guy. You know, he didn't play. He was just an agent. But since we, he's the first in the last, I don't even know how long, to be a GM that wasn't one of those, it didn't fit that mold, he needs to do well to get his back, not to the Bill Vett days, but to the days of baseball men making these decisions. I like it. 
I've gone way long. I have like 15 more questions. I'm going to ask one more, and then I'm just going to say, Gray, we're doing this again soon, like all-star break or something fun. If you're, uh, if I'm one of your still 71. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I don't, I don't talk to my mom on the phone this long. So yeah, you're, you're one of the seven. Yeah, I don't talk to anyone on the phone this long either myself. Um, I would text you all this stuff. But I did love the story you told last time about um, players getting angry with you. And it was Jason Worth was the one. Do you have any news stories of players being angry with you? Any good ones? That... Yeah, I do, actually. Uh, the top 100 right now show that um, we were playing finale last night. If I sound a little hoarse, uh, it's because Mark DeRosa, Ron Darley, and I went out to celebrate a, a wonderful series of pro- uh, broadcasts and had a couple pops. And um, it's a show that I love doing, but I go to spring training next week. And I inevitably piss off at least a dozen players by doing this show. They all watch. Um, my job is to, you know, stir it up and really get into the list. Last year, we had Mad Dog Chris Russo on, and I yelled back and forth with him saying that Gary Sanchez should be closer to number one than Buster Posey. If we're projecting for 2018, Gary Sanchez is a home run hating machine. He's a great hitter. I didn't expect to hit under 200. Uh, Buster Posey didn't play all that much because he had a bum hip. So Mad Dog Chris Russo's going, MVP, rookie of the year, batting title, world championships. I'm like, man, that's such 2014 air you're breathing right now, Mad Dog. This is 2018. Buster Posey doesn't hit homers anymore. The guy shouldn't be a catcher anymore. He's the most important hitter the Giants have. If he's hitting nine home runs, the Giants are going to have a bad year. So move him from behind the plate, make him a first baseman. Hopefully it's 15 to 20 because he's getting Joe Mauer. He's getting Joe Mauer. The position is zapping his bat, and his bat is the most important thing to the Giants. He's nowhere near the projectable talent as Gary Sanchez. not in the same category, in my opinion. So I go to camp, and Buster Posey won't talk to me. Buster Posey's pissed. And he pulls me aside. And I'm like, Buster, we good? What's up, man? And he's like, I thought we were close, dude. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you buried me on TV. You buried me. It's like, Buster, did you hear what I said? It's the position. He's like, I'm a catcher. I, I'm a catcher. I want to go into the Hall of Fame as a catcher. I'm not switching positions. I go, fine, but... It's clearly zapped you. It's affected your lower half. It generates your power. I got this whole thing with Buster Posey. I walked away feeling like we're good, but I still don't know. I, I'm, I'm, and it, it, Kyle Schwarber was on the list. And I, and I go, how is it possible that a baseball player was sent down to the minor leagues for a chunk of the season? And yet, based on that season, we're projecting to be he's one of the top 100 players in baseball? He was sent down to the minors. So I made a big stink about that. Schwerber, I interviewed him. He was kind of cold to me, and he goes, I don't know why you want to interview, interview me. I mean, I'm not one of the top 100 players in the game, right, Greg? <laughs> I stink. I'm like, oh my God, this show buries me right before I go to spring training. So we'll see who's mad at me now, but I can't think about that while I host the show. I got to do my job. And then just deal with the aftermath later. Well, it's at least good that you go face the music a little bit. I mean, some guys could just sit in the studio and never go check these guys out. But I think that's cool that uh, you get a chance to go talk to them. Yeah, and I think it matters to them that I am accessible. I am more than happy to have you yell at me. 
by all means. Well, I I'm mean, not going to back down. Yell me all you want. Yeah, I mean, like I said, this off season's been boring. The the most uh, most fun, or I guess uh, intrigue, was uh, what facial hair you'd have each night. You changed it up a little <laughs> bit. That <laughs> was interesting. Uh, <laughs> Just having fun, right? You got- good man. I got to be honest with you. I it's the first time my goatee. I haven't grown facial hair forever. It's the first time that my mustache and my chin hair connected. So the handlebars growing nice and thick. I was like, oh, shit, this this is no. And was oozing with masculinity. I had to roll with it. No, I try to Fu Manchu this. I mean, I've never done any of this. I'm like, I'm married. Who cares? I don't need it. <laughs> I can do it all. Um, yeah, like I said, I have a lot more to ask you as always, but uh, we've gone way longer. I, th- I hope you enjoyed it. I, again, I didn't imagine we'd go this long, but we well, started. I'm a windbag, dude. It's my fault. <laughs> well, we did We did go 15 minutes on your St. Charles uh pirate's career at the beginning so i'll blame that but always a we'll pleasure do it again brad it was a lot of fun buddy always enjoy it that's greg amsinger from the mlb network you can see him every night on mlb tonight during the season and other shows top 100 all these great shows and that's going to do it for here's the pitch this time brett uh brought to you by masses restaurants five locations in st louis i thank greg and i thank you for listening